Hey, welcome to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. I'm Ann Hamley, the host of the show, or usually the host of the show. We're kicking off season two of this podcast today. And um, so as a kickoff, we're going to do it just a little different. Uh, Douglas Scott, who is the senior director of our workout team and is working a lot on our workouts, is going to lead this podcast with a few other members. So with that, Douglas, I'll hand it over to you. Thank you, Ann. I'll start off by introducing everyone that is here with us today. My name is Douglas Scott. I'm with First Service Solutions, uh, Director of Workouts. Um, First Service Solutions is a borrower, uh, owner, uh, advocate uh, related to owners' uh, owners loans with uh, their commercial properties, and uh, been with them for about two and a half years. Part of that. 20 plus years of asset managing portfolios across the U.S. for owners. Um, also with us today, Jack Minter, uh, 40 years commercial real estate capital markets experience, um, all property types, but with a expertise in office buildings across the U.S. Uh, Evan Stone, also an expert in office building transactions with Goodwin Advisors. More than 30 years in the business all over the U.S. And finally, Barney McCauley uh, with Edge, uh, retail expert, capital markets, investment sales across the U.S., and all product, all retail product types. And um, so, yeah, those are the introductions. Um, Maybe, uh, Evan, start with you uh, with uh, kind of more background on what you're working on right now or what you've worked on in the past um, in, your, in, your, in your work. Um, Goodwin Advisors is a boutique capital markets firm. Uh, we are uh, primarily office and hotel focused, uh, primarily work in the Southwest. Uh, we have done everything from a large um, office portfolio sale in Denver, selling office in uh, Dallas, Houston, New Orleans. Uh, we have also been asked to do equity raises. And so we're, uh, our current assignment is a large retail center in suburban Chicago. Um, and we're, uh, we're very active right now. Super. That's super. Jack, how about you? Uh, right now, I'm uh, working with um, as a consultant for a number of um, companies that are looking at strategies in this changing world to see if there's a way to unlock some value in the office sector in the United States. Uh, background, you know, I've uh, you know done deals or office, an office deals and other product type deals around the country for you know 30, 40 years. Um, seen a couple of downturns like this, at least, and um, you know it's very interesting to see the change. The, 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 and this one versus the others, just the speed of the change that's occurred versus um, other cycles when it's been a little bit slower. Very good, thank you, Barney. Uh, tell us what you're working on and um, <clears throat> things you're focused on, what you've done. So we're. Um... Actually, I'm on my way to Maynard, Texas. To uh, we're representing a client that's purchasing and planning a land use program for 100 acres in Maynard. But it, what we're doing is uh, selling the dream. With a lot of the malls, if you sell them as they are, you get cream. So the concept is to sell the what the mall can be, or the vacant land can be, or the office park can be. So we bring in uh, economic analysis. We bring in folks that do uh, planning, renderings. We work with the stakeholders in the community, the anchor tenants, and try to say, hey, this is a mall, but it can be retail and multifamily. It can be some sort of mixed-use project, and we sell it. That's what it can be. So that's mm -hmm. what we've been working on, and it's been a lot of fun. Super. That's great. 
So uh, first area, uh, our product type that we'll cover is office buildings. Um, I listed out on the agenda a couple of topics to cover, starting with lease maturities, what that means for owners, what that means for tenants even, um, uh, what that means relative to this whole work from home and the castle uh, uh, counts uh, for building occupancy, physical occupancy versus economic occupancy, uh, sublease market, um, all those factors. Um, maybe Evan, you want to start uh, start off on that? Your thoughts? Yeah, I, I, I think we can get into some of these details. Yeah, I think the bigger issue that we're all grappling with is work from home. Uh, flight to quality. Yep. Um, I also, we're in a difficult economic period that I think everybody believes is going to continue and to get worse. I also have been having conversations with really smart people about, I call it changing of the guard. It's really the difference between um, the our vision, Barney, Jack, uh, Douglas, uh, Sarah, you're a little bit younger. The, the way we believe culture and knowledge is passed on versus the way the, the younger people have been growing up, are growing up, the way they see knowledge and the way they absorb knowledge I think is just different. I, I see it in my kids and the dynamics of always being in the office to glean knowledge, to drive culture. It works for most of us on this podcast, the way it's always worked. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that it works for everybody these days. And I'm not convinced of the thinking that as our economy changes from an employer-led market to uh, an employee-driven market, that we're going to be able to force everybody back to the office, which will help drive occupancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good, in good insight about the... Uh how knowledge and culture are uh, 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 taught and received. I think all of that impacts lease maturities, occupancy, rental rates, TIs, value, mm -hmm. trends, cap rates, et cetera. Mm -hmm. It does feed it, the supply side. Interesting. Uh, Jack, your thoughts on on uh, office buildings in general and uh, where we are, where we've been, where we are, where we're going. Um, I think I think you know we look at the COVID situation, you know, as separate from the capital situation we've got going on now. Uh, the COVID situation, I think, didn't really change anything. I think it, it, I think it accelerated things. So some of the office buildings that were not great, they're now kind of done. Um, mm -hmm. Some of the markets that were kind of on the bubble, you know, that it kind of finished them off. You know, my dad was 92 during COVID and you, he would have never gotten online to buy anything from Amazon, but he had to. So yeah. I think it accelerated trends in retail. I think it accelerated to work from home. And I think a lot of us, you know, I've worked from home my whole life. I just didn't know it. Um, so I had an office somewhere, but I always was, was mobile. So I think that people who, you know, this is not a big change for me, but I think for a lot of people, it's a big change. And I personally don't think that most people do well sitting in their pajamas, trying to, you know, pet their cat, ride their Peloton bike, watch some Netflix and try to get some work done at the same time. Um, so I don't think most of these work from home situations um, have longevity. I think we may end up with some more flexibility in, in how we um, work, but I don't think, um, you know, I, I just, I think you know, we had a pandemic back in the 1920s. It was Spanish flu. Um, we still have office buildings. People still go to work. So I think with the technology, it's going to blend a little bit more, but 
it's difficult to work from home when you have children and things to do there, and it, it's difficult to for most people to be motivated to get up and get to it. So I think there's a reason for um, office space, and it drives culture, and it drives discipline, and you know it's just one of those things where I think most of the times investors and especially rhetoric on the internet and newspapers and newscasters, see, they want to go extreme one way or the other. So I think once we knee-jerk back to normal, I think we'll we'll have the ability to get a little bit closer of an idea of how this is going to look. Good idea or good points. Barney, any thoughts there relative to this specific subject about, uh, uh, you know, the whole work from home and results of COVID and kind of what, what the, uh, the future may, may hold? I agree with both Jack and Evan that the, you know, we've, the pandemic accelerated things, the, but didn't introduce anything really new. And we're, we're still figuring it out. Most of my office, real estate is very collaborative, has been, you know, we're 80% in the office since September of 2020. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to be industry specific. And if we go into a slowdown, there's more people demanding their coworkers come into the office. So it's sort of to be determined. Yep. Yep. I'll say for first service solutions, we consider ourselves a, uh, 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 a business that had to be in the office. So we've, we've been in the office uh, since Monday, the uh, 15th um, of March of 2020, uh, because we had 500 loans come in uh, that needed help, primarily hotels who had no revenue. And uh, we were working loans, uh, work, loan workout, loan modifications and forbearance agreements with uh, all the special servicers uh, day one. So there's a, there's a reason to be here. Um, <clears throat> good insights, guys. Um, I, I had a, I had a um, conversation with a, a, a friend of mine. He's a lawyer. He's frustrated that more people are not back in his firm mm-hmm. in the office full time and that they have challenges um, with forcing the associates back in. Uh, he's not in Texas, so different parts of different parts of the world have different challenges. Yep. I, I asked them how they did last year and they said he said best year ever in the firm. So that tells me that work from home has not impact um, their revenue. Um, what he did say was it will impact the clients in the future because without having all the young people there around the old people, there is an osmosis of of knowledge transfer that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And so as he said, hey, when I've retired, I, I, I hope we will have trained my associates to the best of my ability, but if they're not around 100% of the time, there are going to be some gaps in the, the training process. Yeah, it is regional. Um, uh, it's very much regional, uh, around, at least around the U.S. as to uh, the imp- the likelihood or or you know whether or not people balk at coming to the office, whereas in Texas versus Chicago versus uh, New York, perhaps uh, maybe California. Any case, it is it is somewhat of a regional thing. Um, any, any, uh, uh, is on a, on a globe, on a globe, on a U.S. Air, uh, on a national level, uh, are, are there any concerns about, uh, 
a, a disconnect between um, occupancies and new supply to be concerned about in office buildings? I don't think right now. I think the the issue we're having now, I mean, I've, I've seen several of them now, some OMs sent around, mm-hmm. uh, some some tenant has a five building um, headquarters and they're, they've changed their strategy on their workforce and they want to sell three of those. So all of a sudden there's an opportunity to buy three headquarter buildings, if you will, in a campus, um, which is going to be incredibly difficult to do to make a multi-tenant and everything. But, you know, so we're starting to see, um, one of the OMs I've seen is in Chicago, it's talking about, you know, just, just a few steps from Google's headquarters. Well, if they dump, if Google decides not to, to work, then you're not going. That's not a big selling point because there's no activity over there. So right. I think we're going to see some of these bigger firms as they adjust to what to to what they have to do today because of the amount of unemployment there is. Once the unemployment gets back to normal, I think we'll be able to push uh, the employees back to the office a lot easier than we can today. So yeah. I think that this blend of this super high, high or very low, low, low um, unemployment rate, this 1% thing, if it gets in the fives like it is normally historically, then all this kind of goes away a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good insight. Um, are there, is inflation impacting uh, office building construction costs uh, of significance, of concern, of from an underwriting standpoint. And I say construction, not only development, but also tenant tenant finish packages, uh, tenant requirements for for allowances or concessions. Um, how's how's the trend is always up, uh, but has there been any any notable um, items related to costs? I mean, the conversations that I've had, uh, people are saying it, 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 it with inflation, it could cost twenty percent or more to build a new building today, mm-hmm. and so rents are going to have to increase uh, to make that economic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there clearly is a flight to quality. Uh, which is what Jack had uh, mentioned, that some of the older buildings in weaker locations with weaker ownership, they only can and have only competed on price. And if that's your differentiating factor, that's a bad business strategy. And so with work from home, with the tight labor market, you know, people are struggling to get people to come back to work. And so being in a nice new uh, or renovated space, that's that's the differentiating factor to be able to attract and retain top talent. Yeah, and that costs. And, and it costs, and I think people are willing to spend the, spend the costs. Mm-hmm. Um, combined with, and we can, you know, talk about the benefits of Texas, but you know, Goldman is not going to build a new campus or have a new campus built for them uh, just because they want better Tex-Mex. They're building it because they're going to be a nice, shiny, and new campus uh, with high quality of life, no personal income tax. Um, You know, they're hoping they're going to be able to make people's commutes shorter um, implicitly pay people more and give them a better quality of life, relocating people from, I think primarily New Jersey, but New Jersey, yep. New York. Yep. Yep. Um, <clears throat> is there, is there a trend of distressed markets and healthy markets? I think we, we understand probably what they are, but is, are there some trends there that are, uh, notable around the country of healthy versus distressed? It's kind of the same. It's the same markets that are bit, that were distressed before. It's the same. It's the same. I think the some of the mayors and some of the governors have done a very poor job on a lot of issues like crime and things like that. So it's accelerated the what's been happening. Again, the trends are accelerating. It hadn't changed. 
So Detroit's getting worse. Chicago's getting worse. New York's getting worse. LA's getting worse. I mean, it's taxes are going up. Crime's going up. I mean, people won't office. The biggest, the biggest, the wealthiest firm in Chicago just moved out of Chicago, moved Florida, Tampa, because the hedge fund, because of crime. They got the CEO and the CIO got held up twice, you know, walking from the train to the office. So they said, we're not going to be here anymore. We're going to move. Those are the things that are going to continue to trend. Um, I don't think the way those are being run, those cities, that that's going to change very soon. And you're going to see the outflow of people who can leave. People who can't leave, you know, they get to stay. But we we see people in Dallas, you know, friends of mine from Chicago are moving to Dallas. You know, they're getting out of there while they can. Yep. Barney, can we talk about some retail? Sure. Can we talk about, um, I guess, kind of your what your owners uh or i should say buyers what what are they what's the attractive what's the 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 flavor of the day right now depending upon returns requirements and what their capital needs are for risk return Uh, i know that it's all part of the mix but like your insight and what you're hearing out there so big picture retail's been the ugly stepchild for about (laughs) 10 years and no one wanted to go to committee to pitch retail. And a lot of big funds are not investing in retail now. But as we've just heard, office has taken such a beating that they have taken retail's spot as the ugly stepchild right now in commercial real estate. And then industrial and multifamily were the darlings of retail for the last five or so years. Mm -hmm. And they just kept blowing and going, you know, sub three caps on industrial property. That was all driven by rent increases and very low interest rates. Now that interest rates are up, industrial guys I know are wondering if they're going to get laid off because the activity has stopped so fast, as Jack mentioned. And multifamily guys are, you know, if their loan quote changes, they've got negative leverage. So the change in interest rates has affected those two product types much more. And retail's been through, you know, Amazon, then the pandemic, a bunch of bankruptcies, and good retail centers are working. Right now, vacancies at a 16-year low for shopping centers. So everybody's kind of looking around going, you know, maybe I should take a shot and look at retail. So that's just general. Mm-hmm. If you look at the retail product types, Grocery Anchor has done really well. The uh, pandemic really drove sales for grocery stores and, and they have been popular, you know, for a while, mostly with private investors. Mm-hmm. Big box centers, power centers are challenged because as retailers change their footprints, they're not very flexible. So if you have a 35,000 square foot Best Buy that wants to be 18,000 square feet, it's just expensive and hard to do. And it's hard mm-hmm. to release that space. So they're still trading, but there's uh, a lot of caution and a limited number of buyers. Malls have been beaten up so badly for so long, and people are like, really? I'm gonna have to buy it. I'm gonna buy a apartment building at a three cap, or I'm gonna buy a mall that's been through the pandemic, been through Amazon, and is still there and chugging along. And I'm gonna buy it at you know three times the cap rate maybe I should look at this. So mm-hmm. we're starting to see some drift over from other investors or just friends I know calling me up saying, hey, how do I figure this out? I've got all this money to place and I'm these cap rates are so high, I'm tempted to take a look. So that's sort of the big picture. Yeah. Hey, uh, B- Barney, my, my perception and what I've been hearing is there's a lot more retail money 
for a center in the Sun Belt than there is, um, you know, in the Rust Belt. Regardless, regardless of how well that center is doing in, you know, suburban Detroit or, you know, in urban uh, Minneapolis, a lot of people just want to be in the Sun Belt, period, end of story. Correct. There's only so much money for retail, even though things are kind of drifting that way. So they don't have to go to Detroit unless there's some really compelling story about a particular center or the pricing. That makes sense. Um, are, are there concerns or talk from investors or owner, current owners about uh, the annual post-holiday bankruptcies that occur in retail? Sometimes a lot, sometimes not that much. Sometimes it's just just a sneeze. Um, any, any kind of uh, expectations there? So far this year, more retail stores have opened than have closed for the yep. first time in like three years. And so people are feeling good going to, good going to the holidays, but uncertain. They really mm-hmm. don't know how the shopper is going to deal with inflation and an incoming recession. So right now is an overall good feeling, but we got Bed Bath & Beyond. We've got Kohl's. We've got some folks that are in trouble. So it's, it's kind of a wait and see. It mm-hmm. doesn't feel as bad as it did in 2021, but, you know, no one's really placing a big bet. There's been very little new construction, and that sort of tells you, you know, that people aren't putting the chips on the table for retail. Hey, Barney, um, I've been surprised when I'm in New York City, there are blocks of vacant retail. And having just come back from Los Angeles, there's noticeable amount of vacancy in, you know, along Wilshire, Santa Monica, but in Dallas, Houston, Austin, you know, there's a vacancy every once in a while, but it's not a topic of conversation. It's not that noticeable. It's not so noticeable that the mayor proposed a fine for retail landlords that leave their space vacant. New York has, you know, was averaging 54, 60 million tourists a year. And they're not back at the, particularly the international tourists, they're starting to come back, but they're not back yet. And then the guys coming in from Fairfield in Jersey five days a week have stopped coming to town. They're yeah. coming in one or two days. And that really is crushing the midtown retail. But if you street, look at street at level York, retail. Yeah. If you look at New York, we did some work up there recently for someone in the, all the, at the, during the pandemic, there were a lot of vacancies on fifth Avenue and Madison Avenue and in down in Soho and the landlords were holding, we're getting 3000 bucks a square foot and they were holding out for it because that's what they bought it that for. And that was their pro forma. But all of a sudden they realized there was so much vacancy that they just started making deals, 1500,000 bucks a square foot and filling the space. So the last time I was in New York, fifth Avenue had back mostly backfilled Madison Avenue, the main areas and the tourists were starting to come back to times square, but there's still, are lots of vacancy up on the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side. And that was, there was so much vacancy, it was scaring the big landlords along Fifth Avenue. So it's coming back slowly, but there's still gonna be a price to pay for the guys from Connecticut that are not coming into the city five days a week. Office occupancy. Yeah. 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 We spoke about briefly about consumer demand relative to inflation. 
what that does, what it could do to be seen. Um, any thoughts on um, the likelihood or uh, will the FTC approve the merger or is that such a long shot between Albertsons and Kroger? We're, we're thinking that it gets approved. We're thinking that um, the, we don't know that Albertsons or Kroger will want to give back many of their, they've got a pretty overlap position in Texas and California. We don't know if they're going to give back many stores because if they let the store just go to the market, Walmart, HEB, some really good operator is going to pick it up because the real estate's good. I mean, these locations have been grocery stores for a long time. Mm -hmm. But we think it's that the, they're going to take their time on what they do with the vacants, with the boxes they want to give back. And they may limit their use so they can't, you know, limit the uses at a grocery store for the next five years or something like mm -hmm. that. So they can't get backfilled with a competitor. Yep. Yep. Tenant, uh, anchor tenant packages, uh, 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 tenant finish out packages, uh, trend of costs. Is that, uh, are they still going up? Uh, are they, I mean, they're roughly, it depends on the tenant. Um, uh, back when I did some of those deals, fifty to seventy-five dollars a square foot—is that still still the same, or has it gone up? It's it's all over the board. We just yeah. worked on a fix renewal, which was zero TI, and mm -hmm. a and a decent rate. You know, like a rate at seven percent of their of their sales for their occupancy cost. Mm -hmm. um, and then, what the big problem with TI is is just getting the stuff. Yeah, it's like nine months lead time for a walk-in freezer, and so you go to a landlord and you say, "Hey, we've got this deal for you. This is a great, you know, restaurant concept, and we really love the guy." And they're like, "Hey, it's not gonna if if I start working the lease, it doesn't open till year end ninety, you know, twenty twenty three. Right, that doesn't do much for me. So that's been the challenge with TI, the timing of it." Yeah. And the uh, with vacancies going down, there's not the landlords aren't as willing to give the big packages that they may have given a while ago. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Where they've got a little bit more power. A little more leverage. Yep. A little more leverage. Interesting. Um, okay. Next topic is uh, debt capital interest rates. Uh, we've kind of touched on interest rates already. Um, oh, no, we haven't even started on interest rates yet. You know. <laughs> All right. Talk, let's talk uh, about no, interest no. rates, Jack. <laughs> I mean, everything you've talked about so far is COVID. And that, that's all <laughs> we've done so far. We haven't even started on the capital side yet. So, All right. I mean, we, we're, still, we're still swallowing COVID, obviously, because we still haven't you know, gotten through the supply-constrained issues, um, the, the pricing adjustments because of the supply chains and things like that. So, we're still reeling a little bit in retail and office on getting those done. And the office folks have decided that, you know, spec suites are the cool new thing. So we're going to build those out so that if we do have a tenant that's coming from another building, we can actually move them in, you know, and, mm -hmm. you know, so that we, so, uh, you know, that, that's a big new thing, I guess. It's, it's been around for a long time, but I think yeah. everyone's focused on, on it a lot harder now so that they can plug and play a little better. Interest rates. Yeah, we were at on office. We were at four percent in February, and we just heard of a Plaza Americas here in Dallas was priced on the debt at eleven percent. So <laughs> I would think that's a significant oh, rise oh, in interest oh, rates. Oh. On top of that, you have to buy caps. So nope. we're looking at a deal, and uh, we're looking at a twenty-five million dollar deal, and they want two and a half million dollars up front to buy a cap. Um, it kind of limits. I mean, it just knocks it right off the price. Um, we've refinanced a deal in Fort Worth and one in Austin. They, they required caps and they're getting more expensive as time goes along. So our Austin deal, we had one lender. We, had, we were at 4%. Now we're at 8 Uh Fort Worth, we're at 7 But that was done in March. So I think we're going to see some 
significant issues um, when you were at 75% debt, now you're at 60, and the interest rates were much higher, and everybody that wants to refinance a deal is going to have to bring quite a bit of money to the table to get the value right and to get the coverage correct and only have a 60% loan. So it's uh, very different. It's interesting, given the monetary policy the past, call it 10 years, and now we're having to pay for it with um, a very conservative or aggressive uh, fiscal policy with these interest rates. I mean, you know, a few months ago, everybody was talking about this was all going to get out of out of the system by the end of the year, um, and that people were going to start titulating uh, in January. I don't. Nobody's really saying that now. Nope. I mean, you're the five year, the two years of four on the treasury to four, and the five years of four. And you throw a four or five hundred spread on top of that, and that's you know that's that's what the market's betting that those rates are going to be like five years mm -hmm. from now, right? So I'm not sure. You know, I, everyone's thinking one or two. It's it may be a little bit longer than that. You know, quite a bit longer than that actually. Mm -hmm. And with the banks, with the banks having to reserve more, and their and getting pressure from the Fed to not lend as much, you know, it's really the spreads that are causing heartburn. Um, we've been living through an era of almost free money. Um, you know, nobody thought that was sustainable. A lot of people profited off of that. And whether the Fed's doing the right things by being so aggressive and moving rates, I guess we won't know for years, but it's going to be painful between now and then. I met with a banker yesterday and he said not only were they getting pressure from the Fed not to loan, but they're losing deposits. That people are getting better returns with their money. So they're they're putting their money elsewhere they're taking it out of the bank and that was a real concern for him because he's kind of had these this free money to loan for a long time yeah but my my mattress is getting very lumpy right now <laughs> <laughs> so, Doug, so douglas we're going to turn this around and ask you about your business yeah what are you guys seeing are do you have you guys put up kind of some help wanted signs out trying to increase recruiting for youngsters and I'll tell you what we're seeing. We're, we have a, a lot of new loans in uh, our owners with loans um, <clears throat> who are loans that are maturing in 2023, who are comparing, do I exercise my extension option? Do I, do I request an extension? Cause I like my rate. I could refi, but I don't want to refi. I'll pay a little bit more so I can get more term. And then we have some buyers that are looking at some of these properties that are uh, uh, buying with an existing loan in place with a good fixed rate with some term on it. Do I defease that loan? My defeasance cost is uh, greatly reduced because of the in increase in rates. Or do I like this rate and I'll stick with this loan, even though it's seen, we, we specialize in CMBS loans that we work on all types of loans uh, for owners. But uh that, that math comparison between defeasance and, uh, uh, and, and then you've got to refi that loan at a potentially higher rate versus just sticking with that CMBS loan. Uh, it, it's, it's, a math, it's a math question. I, I would think there clearly are retail centers in Detroit that are have are sinking and have sunk. And the borrower likely wants to just give the keys back. Mm -hmm. There probably are office buildings in New York and Dallas and Houston, LA, that you got good sponsorship, you've got good real estate, but because of everything we're talking about, you have occupancy challenge 
I would imagine a lot of the lenders don't want the building back. Yep. Because I think they know when they take a building back, the value goes down some some amount. And that they know that they're not going to be able to do a better job than a lot of people that are already in control of the real estate. So taking it back is worse off for their bondholders. That is typical. And they want to work out the loan. Um, if the borrower is not able to work out the loan or find a buyer to take over that loan, to assume it, then they have to take it back. Right. Um, but I think that is kind of the last resort. Um, they'll take it back in receivership. No, sorry. They'll put in a receiver to help to try to stabilize it. And then they'll auction it rather than put it in REO. I think that there are, no, I know of, you know, properties that go into REO, but that is probably, that's probably the, well, it's, it depends on the property and the market, but it's, uh, it's unusual. It, it's fairly unusual for them to go ahead and, and exercise the foreclosure. But yeah, so, uh, it, it is market specific. We're focused on Chicago office. Um, uh, I'm looking in right now at Orange County office and well, office and retail to see where there might be some problems uh, in some of these larger loans. And then um, uh, see, uh, offer to help, offer to help evaluate uh, how they might be able to uh, proceed uh, and, and what their options might be with their lender. So, yeah, um, I guess the last subject uh, I wanted to cover is um, demand, uh, equity capital demands, um, private, institutional, foreign, uh, any trends there to, uh, to speak of? My perception, given all the people I talk to every day, a lot of the institutional investors are sitting on the sidelines. They're sitting on the sidelines because nobody's, there's so much uncertainty on where the economy is headed, interest rates, what have you. People don't want to make a mistake. Mm -hmm. uh, even if there's a juicy deal and people like it, I think, you know, some people, they won't say this out loud, but they don't want to get criticized by their investors for investing right now uh, with not as much clarity. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think people are buying and investing in residential and industrial, um, but it feels like that's starting to cool even more at the moment. Uh, I, I am hearing uh, more and more people talk about keeping their powder dry for all the distress debt that is going to come, but they typically always say that, and it's unusual if there is that flood of distress debt. I think some of that is a wishful thinking and B, it's a good cover to say, well, we're just sitting on the sidelines for a while. Yeah. Any thoughts there, Jack? I agree. I, I you know, we we are we have a strategy now about be leveraging our balance sheet and you know going out to some equity sources and you know, they, they tell you that they are they're in the market, that they have a they have a process, they have a strategy, but when you know when you really find something they like and you they say they like it, they, they will never they don't really want to take it to committee because you know they don't want to get laughed out of committee trying to buy an office building right now. Um, we have you know we don't we still don't understand the COVID situation from work from home. I think that'll again, once we have some parity with supply and demand of of humans of, of you know people who work, you know, I think, Right now, I mean, they, they can say I'm going to stay at home and they can't stop them from staying at home because there's no one to take the job if they fire them. So I think once we get that balanced back where it's more normal, I think we'll see really what the effect of COVID has given us in the office sector. 
Um, so we still have that headwind. But then, you know, the, the interest rates and the capital, it's all math. So, yeah. you know, when you're when you're when you're doing deals the last 10 years, I mean, every lever was flat out pulled as hard as you could pull it doing two caps, three caps, and just, just ridiculous deals. Yeah, rental rates were going through the roof. Interest rates were going to zero. Um, everything was wonderful. I mean, just nirvana. And, you know, in one day, because of how the lack of capital happened in this cycle, all those levers were pushed back. And what happens is, is that you give assumptions and why you are underwriting the way you're underwriting. And the seller agrees with you, but then when you say, okay, and that makes the value X, they go, no, that can't be right because it's going to be Y. It's like, well, it's only Y because your debt's at Y. So the value is actually X, guys. So <laughs> we don't see it getting better. I just think that the capital, like Evan said, you know, and, and Barney will agree too, we talked yesterday about the capital. It's just everyone's going to make sure they don't make a mistake in a market like this. And everybody just, even though there's, Billions of dollars uh, for distress. It's they don't, you know. It's hard to catch a falling knife. So yeah. it's one of those yeah, issues yeah. where no one wants they to. want to make sure, right? And that's that's been retail's problem for so long. Is that it just it never really will hit the ground, so you can get started. I mean, it just falls and falls and falls. It doesn't fall fast. It's but I think with this interest rate issue and the capital just moving to the sideline, your lack of capital will get that knife down pretty fast. For retail, the uh, equity is private equity. Um, okay. All the big shops are on, like Evan stated, are on the sidelines. And mm -hmm. it's, you know, you go out for a deal and you don't recognize half the buyers. It's like, you know, Barney and Jack and Evan's great adventure. Who are these guys? And how are they chasing a hundred million dollar deal? And that's sort of who's out there buying the retail. It's private individuals that are willing to take the risks now, but it's at a discount. They're getting a good price. It's just mm -hmm. the institutions don't want to go to committee with any, you know, anything right now. I want to caveat all this. Being old school, I think the way to make the most money is to buy when people don't want to buy. Don't follow the herd. Yes, you may catch a falling knife, but if you're trying to jump on a train that's going fast, you may also buy, pay too much. Uh, you may, in the um, excitement buy something that you think all boats are going to get lifted and that's not true i think today when there aren't as many buyers um particularly for even the best office and retail centers uh not to mention maybe the second best or maybe the slightly older ones you're you're going to get I hate to say a once in a generation buying opportunity, but a once in every 10 or 15 year cycle opportunity to better the quality of your portfolio because of the lack of capital. There are lenders out there that are lending uh, the smaller regional banks, mm -hmm. um, some of the debt funds are lending. It's expensive, but you're going to factor that into your pricing. Mm -hmm. um, they're just, as we've been talking about, there are a lot of institutional, there's a lot of private people that are just on the sidelines. And I think if you see a property that you've been lusting after, uh, for years and it comes on the market, now is your opportunity to buy that asset at you know a price that you're going to be happy with. Yeah, I believe uh, Evan's right. I mean, the issue we find though is that as we work the process and the interest rates continue up, the caps get more expensive, the capital moves to the sideline, the pricing on these assets is not a stable price. I mean, this thing's bouncing around all over the place. So basically, we had, there's a, there's assets in Denver we chased that's they marketed them 
pulled them, sixty million dollar kind of whisper price, and they trade at forty five. Um, there's some <laughs> sellers who will sell. There's some sellers who will get foreclosed on. There's some sellers who will be able to kick the can a little bit. But if you that if that building is something you lust after, you, they have to. It has to be a seller that will sell in a market like this, or that really has to sell. I mean, you would never want to sell in a market like this if you didn't have to, if you didn't have to. That's a good, good point. Good point. I do like also, cause I thought of this, uh, the idea of you may not have as much competition. Uh, if, if you're going for an acquisition, um, there may not be 10 bids. Uh, there may only be three or four and your, uh, your, chan- about, your chances. Uh, some of the brokers I've been talking to this morning, I've talked to eight of them around the country and how about no bids? Yeah, they're just happy you call them back now. It's like, hey, what's up? So, yeah, <laughs> I'm hearing sellers who have multiple products in the market, coast to coast, are concerned. Typically, because there's there's a lot of vacancy. Uh, it's you know big campuses. They're worried about you know or hearing no offers. Mm-hmm. It's still the COVID. It's still the COVID backlash on you know headwinds on the the leasing and stuff. I mean, we don't yet understand how you know it was really nice for um, Google to buy a million foot building in Chicago and lease it all up and have all those people running around in there. And then two days later, COVID hit. Here he goes home, yeah. and now the building's empty. And the Google guys are going, hey, you know, um, there's not that many of me around. So if you want me to work for you, then I'm gonna. I'm going to do it in my pajamas. Uh, got a problem with that. Yeah. I'll go to work for someone else in my pajamas. Yep. So I think once we kind of solve that inequity we have currently in the employment market, that we're going to have to deal with this. So I just yeah. want to clarify, most of us have been on this, uh, this recorded blog uh, via Zoom with our uh, cameras on. <laughs> Jack, you have been noticeably absent with having your camera on and you've mentioned sitting at home in your pajamas i just want you i want to know for posterity are you home sitting in your pajamas i am not i'm actually at the office um but i i just don't do zoom it's a millennial thing and I appreciate y'all's time. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I really appreciate y'all uh, joining me. Uh, it was good to kind of uh, kick the ball around. And uh, we should do this again maybe uh, after the new year and see where we stand then. Great. Thank you. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Enjoy it. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank right, you take care. Right. Have a good one. Bye. 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 Bye.